Have you seen pictures of Jeffrey Epstein's body? Like when they do the autopsy, have you actually seen pictures of it? I haven't know. He wasn't the most attractive man when he was alive, so I imagine when he was dead. Yeah, not a looker when he was dead, to be honest. That island was uh, really a cesspool. There's no question about it. Just ask Prince Andrew. He'll tell you about it. He has quite obviously conducted himself in a manner unbecoming. Unbecoming? He was a sex offender? Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm being polite. I'm in the sense that he was a sex offender. Give him a massage, wake him up, massage, come on. Hello and welcome back to Two Pals on a Pod. It's episode 14 and we're back. This week we're going to be talking about Jeffrey Epstein, Andrew and Maxwell. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about. We're probably going to talk about, I think, to begin with, and then we'll do the Prince Andrew interview uh, that he gave in 2019, at the end of 2019. Then I think we'll go Maxwell and then Jeffrey Epstein and his conspiracy around did he get killed? Did he commit suicide? Lots to talk <laughs> about, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. I don't know when uh, when you in particular kind of picked up on this being a big story because it's a, it's a massive story with loads of kind of far-reaching kind of implications. But for me, it was the, it was the Prince Andrew interview on the, on the BBC before that I had no idea who Epstein or Maxwell were even though if you kind of watch the documentaries these days you think you know anybody who anybody anybody who was anybody kind of knew who Epstein was or whatever he's kind of somebody to me that was famous for just the sake of being kind of famous for the people that he knew I mean Maxwell's always referred to as a a socialite but I really started picking up on on this and I think a lot of people in the UK did as well when it became kind of much more pertinent to us because of that Prince Andrew interview on the BBC and I don't know who advised him, who in his team advised him that that would be a good idea. But whoever it was, I hope they're not in a job anymore for Prince Andrew's sake more than anything else, because I think I've never seen somebody coming out of an interview looking far, far worse than they did before it in such kind of an intense kind of manner. Yeah, I think he he was one of those things where I think it was actually him that wanted to do the interview. I I think he was advised not to, because if he said something wrong, they might come back to him you know, in a in a criminal case or something like that, if he gave an answer in that interview and then that was used against him. So I think he was advised not to, but like you say, some of the ridiculous things that were said and weren't said in this interview. I mean, at no point in the whole, in the whole interview does he say anything like he's appalled or disgusted about the allegations around Jeffrey Epstein or not even the allegations, but the things that he did. And no, he barely even addresses his name. The only time yeah. he uses the, the term sex offender is literally right at the end of the interview. He so dis- tries to distance himself for the whole thing every single time. I mean, he says it was a stretch to say we were close friends and stuff like that. Yeah. Is, and then why, why are you flying to the other side of the world then? If, if you're not close friends to end a friendship, if you're not close, well, it makes no sense. The funniest thing about it for me is the fact that firstly, he says he justifies his friendship and it's, it's kind of grounded in this idea that Epstein was this amazing man that surrounded himself with brilliant people that gave Andrew incredible opportunities. I'm kind of like, well, now is not the time to be bigging up Jeffrey Epstein and his achievements and the kind of appeal of, you know, being friends with him. It's kind of like, well, he may have done these horrible things, and I absolutely had no idea. And I mean, we'll get onto that as well, because I think that's ridiculous, isn't it? But this is what this is why I was friends with him. He, you know, amazing opportunities. I don't think now is the time to be describing, you know, the fact that he has this amazing island and this island is in the Pacific or whatever, and it's really temperate or what you know, knowing the facts that we know now is kind of irrelevant. And the idea to me that, you know, he kind of distanced himself from Epstein and you know, only mentions him by name once in the whole hour-long interview and says, Oh, um, he was charged in 2006, and between 2006 and 2010 we distanced ourselves from each other we weren't really speaking and yet in December 2010 he was photographed with him in New York to which Andrew replies that's the most astonishing about the interview yeah we did that because I went over to New York to end the friendship because we couldn't be seen in public together and yet there's an array of pictures of Andrew leaving the apartment going to walking in Central Park with Epstein or whatever so it's kind of like in order to end this friendship because we can't be photographed together we're going to go for a stroll in New York City. It doesn't really add up, does it? Yeah, it's a load of rubbish. The, the whole sort of way he tries to distance himself, it's a load of rubbish. But like you say, right at the start of the interview, you're absolutely right. Rather than say he's disgusted, appalled or anything like that, he actually compliments him. He, he says, and it's exactly, I think this was the quote, and ex- he had an extraordinary ability to bring extraordinary people together. And it's like, yeah. this is not the time to be complimented. You're here to say how disgusted, appalled you are about these things. And yet you're I giving a compliment of all things. What's this? I think it's ridiculous, isn't it? I think it's very, it's akin to saying, you know, for all the sins that Harold Shipman committed, he was a fantastic and devoted GP, you know? <laughs> He went to Jimmy medical Savile, school, he, might, he might have you know, fondled a few yeah. kids Raised a bit of money though, didn't he? Raised loads a few of, quid Loads of fundraising, loads of fundraising you know, Ted Bundy, 
horrible guy, but cranking pair of eyes has to be Good said, point. doesn't it? You know, it's redeeming completely... features. Let's focus on those things, shall yeah. we? <laughs> it's completely irrelevant, isn't it? I think, and the fact, you know, and this is a fact that. He was charged in uh, May 2006, and towards the end of 2006, Andrew invited Epstein over to Windsor Castle to visit Windsor Castle. I think that's a national disgrace. I think everybody in the UK should be disgusted by that, that, that he was using kind of royal privileges and royal authority and the kind of grandiosity that comes with having access to institutions like that, whether you're in favour of the royal family or not as a, as a concept, you know, it's something that some people review, uh, view as kind of like sacrilegious and they're held to higher standards. The fact that you'd have a, you know, a, somebody that's been charged for paedophilia or whatever, whatever he was charged with at that point in time, roaming the corridors of Windsor Castle, I think is a bit of a disgrace, isn't it? It, it makes you embarrassed, I think. Yeah, his, his whole association with it is just, it's ridiculous, the whole thing. I mean, he said that there's a few sort of obvious lies that he makes as well, like early on in the interview, when he says things like, I never really have partied. And it's like, there's, there's literally pictures of you all over the internet of you partying. If you're going to yeah. lie about something, don't pick something that can be easily disproved. But he was literally known as the Playboy Prince, right? You know, which is funny looking at him. But the man loved to party, probably because he had naff all to do. I mean, nobody's interested in his charity work or whatever, because nobody knows who he is. So he's this guy that was born into privilege with a lot of money. The guy loved to party. I mean, the, when he went over to see Epstein in December 2010, Maitlis, the woman doing the interview, Emily Maitlis, said, yeah, well, it was a four-day house party, wasn't it? And he, he said, oh, it's a bit of a, a misrepresentation or whatever. But I think knowing what Epstein was like and, you know, seeing these, these pictures and whatnot, definitely was just what, what seemed to be a four-day bender you know um i i thought in, there was uh some other like early on quotes in, in this sort of prince andrew interview that he says things like um when she's sort of pressing about the relationship between the two of them he said i don't go into friendships looking for the wrong thing there's such a strange yeah. way to describe you know child sex offense the wrong thing again just sort of distancing himself from the crimes doesn't state the crimes i don't go into into it looking for the wrong thing doesn't even say yeah. look, looking for crimes or anything like that i picked up on that as well actually it's really interesting that you bring it up because i looked at it in the concept uh, the concept of like him saying i don't go into friendships looking for the wrong thing it's kind of him saying I don't go into friendships looking for a bad thing, but if a bad thing happens, it's kind of part of the course. If it happens, it happens. You know, if there's a 14-year-old girl on my lap or whatever, which, you know, for legal purposes, I'm not saying that that actually was the case, but exactly. just like that. Allegedly. You know, if that comes along with the friendship, then that comes along with the friendship. I didn't actively seek that out, which means, you know, I'm recused of all responsibility. And, and something that, really that backs that up is then when he goes on to be asked about um, how he felt about Epstein being locked up in 2008. He then goes on to distance himself again, and rather than mention a feeling of disgust at him being locked up or shock or appalled or anything like that, he then goes on to say, it's one of those things. If someone's going through that sort of thing, well, I'm terribly sorry. I can't be in contact <laughs> like that. I'm terribly <laughs> sorry. It's one of those things. It's the casual nature of it. It's not I was disgusted by his crimes or appalled. That sort of, you know, it's one of those things, such a casual way of speaking about something so horrific. Yeah, I think it speaks volumes of how kind of involved in this kind of web they all were, that it became so normalised to them. The guy's a literal sex offender, convicted of the most heinous crimes, and yet we're talking about it as if they've had a bit of a tiff. You, mm. know? you look at that interview, he looks like a rabbit in headlights. You wouldn't believe that he was a, a royal, brought up with media training, with this kind of ingrained kind of privilege or whatever. He makes these statements that we're supposed to believe are facts and then waits for affirmation from the interviewer, you know, as if he's seeking her approval, because... There's obviously not an element of uh, of truth to it, I think. But yeah, you, you can tell that he's he's almost. It seems like he's almost trying to formulate his responses while sat there at some points as well. Like he's almost trying to figure things out for himself as he looks around. And you know, she asks him quite a blunt question, like. You know, in 2010, you stayed with a convicted sex offender. He goes on to then talk about, oh, it's not, not pro it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been appropriate for us to be seen together. So I had to go, you know, break up the friendship and that kind of thing. And then he goes on to give himself a compliment by saying, if I did it over the telephone, it would have been the chicken's way out, chicken, chicken's yeah, way chicken. of doing it. And so he's sort of yeah. picking himself up there as noble, courageous. I had to show leadership, is what he said. I had to, <laughs> imagine that. I had to show leadership by flying to the other side of the world to break up a friendship. 
relationship with someone I'm not actually friends with. So strange. Yeah, I think, like I said earlier, the most bizarre thing about that is that he couldn't be seen in public with Epstein. And that's part of the reason why the friendship broke down. So what he does is he breaks up the friendship and in the process of doing that is seen in public with Epstein. Yeah. Just come back to bite him on the arse. And it's interesting because uh, there was a question about, um, did Epstein set up that picture in the park, do you think? And he said, um, my team can't find any evidence of that. So they've tried. They've tried to find some evidence as to whether he was set up and whether Epstein did that deliberately, take him out to the park. But yeah, it just, it just doesn't add up, does it? The whole thing of, like, if you don't have seen him publicly, then why are you out publicly with him like that? No, and I think this interview is, is crafted in a, a very kind of well-considered way by Emily Maitlis or the BBC team that did it in the sense that the second part of the interview is based more on the allegations made by Virginia Roberts. And I kind of feel like she is the one that's been leading the way when it comes to these allegations that were made. And obviously she's the one that's in that notorious photo of Andrew when he's got his arm around a girl. I think she was 17 at the time in 2001. And Maxwell, Ghislaine Maxwell, is kind of loitering in the background. Those are the most notorious parts of the interview because that's the part where he says, I can't have been there because on that exact night, I was at a Pizza Express in, in, in Woking. And there's nobody there that can corroborate that. I think that's, you know, it's good PR, I think, for the Pizza Express in Woking because, you know, got a few laughs and whatnot. But, but like, I also think that the fact that he offers it as a defence, as if that means he couldn't have just gone out afterwards, as if that's sort he's not going to be out at Pizza Express until 1am, is he? You know, Trump Nightclub, I don't think, opened until like 11pm. Like he could have yeah. had the, the kid's birthday party before that and then gone out. You know, he could have done both. Like, it doesn't even mean that... You know, I mean, if you're going out for pizza at 5pm, there's enough time to go afterwards. It's bizarre to think that him or his team or him specifically kind of initiated that interview because the defence is so flimsy because then there's obviously the picture of Andrew that I just referenced with Virginia Roberts with Maxwell in the background. And he says, that can't have been me. This is taken in London. And I'm known to only ever wear a suit and tie in London. And the Prince Andrew in that picture is wearing a t-shirt with the top two buttons down or whatever. Yeah. Well, how ridiculous is that? As if it's, you know, beyond reason that he might think about taking off the suit and tie and undoing a few buttons or whatever. And, you know, like one of his mates came out more recently and said, yeah, I know that's not Andrew in the picture because look at the fingers wrapped around her waist. They're far too slender, was the word that he used. Far too slender to be Andrew's fingers. Andrew's got chubby fingers, you know, and things. So that, that picture's been doxxed. And then obviously you have Virginia Roberts going in on the kind of, I can't remember how she described him as sweaty, but that definitely became relevant to the, mm. the, the situation. Yeah, she said he was like sweating on him, I think is what basically what she said in the nightclub. It's just like such a weak, like it's, it's a weak way of defending yourself, isn't it? He was actually asked uh, specifically, do you think the photo is fake? If you think the photo is fake, then just say yes. And he doesn't. He says, nobody can prove it. Just say, yeah. yes, if you know, I mean, you were there, so you you know if the picture's fake or not. If you think it's fake, say yes. But he's gone, he said, nobody um, can prove it. He's trying to undermine the picture as opposed to try and, you know, state yes or no. He couldn't answer the question straight. He said, oh, I've never, I never saw Jeffrey Epstein with a, a camera because obviously <laughs> the accusation is that Epstein took the photo. So I never saw Jeffrey Epstein with a with a camera so it's not possible what's that, got, what's, what's that got you know you're telling me jeffrey never you know snapped a few pictures here and there or whatever it was her totally camera beyond. apparently it was virginia roberts's camera i think that she gave to jeffrey never seen jeffrey with a with a with a with a camera nothing the sweating thing i think is bizarre isn't it because medical professionals have debunked it. it's obviously the sweating which i think is the most notorious part of the interview she said she described me as sweaty everybody knows i've got a condition that means that i can't sweat because i had an adrenaline rush when i was being shot at during the falklands war that now renders me sweatless, basically. But medical professionals have come out since saying it's actually a genetic condition. It's not a uh, not a condition that you can get from environmental factors. So that kind of debunks that. It's the most flimsy kind of way of trying to wriggle out of a, a situation that I've ever ever seen. Really, it's such a strange explanation as well. Trying to use the Falklands War as if that gives it some sort of merit or like, oh, look at me, I, yeah. I fought in the war, kind of thing. It's such a strange thing because I mean. It is possible to not be able to swear. There are people that have that condition. It can lead to sunstroke and they've got to be careful in the sun. They've got to stay hydrated, that kind of thing, cover themselves up a lot. Uh, and so, you know, it is possible, but just from adrenaline, it's such a strange like way of going about it. He said that he can't prove that. Apparently there's no medical records of that. So, you know, it's not a great defense, is it? But of all the things to think of, it's, well, I can't sweat. So she's lying. And it's just like, it doesn't really make any sense. He even is asked straight up, are you saying she's lying, Virginia, uh, Virginia Roberts? And he, he responds, that's a very difficult thing to answer. 
Not really, Andrew. <laughs> not really. It's either yes or no. Is she lying? I mean, you, you surely will know if you know her or not. And he, right. every time he goes back to I have no recollection, no memory. He doesn't say what he doesn't know or he knows for a fact. He pretends, you know, I've got no memory, no recollection of these things. Again, trying to distance himself and not take responsibility. It's just shocking, the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of uh, non-denial denials in there. I think I'll call those where um, he's obviously alluding to the fact she's lying without actually saying she's lying, like you just said, so mate, let's say, so you're going to file like a legal deposition, as you would. You know, if you're a high-profile figure, remember the royal family, and this woman's going around making these accusations that you, um, you know, sexually assaulted someone when you were 17 or whatever, and you were part of a, a child trafficking ring or whatnot, and you were friends with this guy, and all this stuff happened on the, the Lolita Express, the plane, or the Epstein Island. You'd want to distance yourself from that as fastly and as firmly as possible. And yet he says, when she says, you're going to take legal action, he goes, it's up to my legal team. Okay, well, if he had a good legal team, he has access to the best lawyers in the land, surely. If he had a good legal team and she was lying, then this amazing legal team would say, you know, take her to court, you know, drag her down or whatever. You know, it's defamation of character, it's libel, slander, whatever. It's up to my legal team. I mean, you'd yeah. think that he'd be a bit more passionate about it. For me, this interview, it gives a, 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 the impression to me that this is a man that's completely on his own with this now, you know, legal team handlers or not, like he's been left and, you know, hung out there to dry. You know, he's tied off centre, you know, shall we say. I think, you know, things like that tend to match a lot, don't they? And, and, and it's strange, matter. it's strange though, because apparently he came away from that interview thinking that he'd done a really good job and thinking that he'd put it to bed <laughs> as well. So it's even more strange to just see how, like, completely out of touch and out of reality he is. I mean, there's there's a few little things that he says as well. When speaking about <laughs> his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein, my judgment was coloured by my tendency to be too honourable. He's complimenting himself. I'm, I'm too honourable there. I'm just so honourable that I had to maintain this friendship with a sex offender. Like, what yeah. like what sort of... Are you not even listening to the words that you're saying at this point? Like, it's ridiculous, some of the things he came out with. And it was just the arrogance of him, like, lack of self-awareness. The whole thing was just a, a complete mess. Yeah, I think you think that in, in preparing for this interview that you'd think that your, your life and your career, whatever, as a royal, would be on the line. Your status would be on the line here and you'd prepare meticulously for it. And for me, it seems that he just thought that he could sail through this interview that nobody would notice if he just towed the line of kind of neutrality and saying, not answering yes, not answering no, you know, not telling the truth, but not necessarily telling a lie. And that nobody would nobody would notice these things. Nobody would pick up on these ridiculously, you know, these flimsy denials. And, and it made him look more his... guilty, didn't it? Like he came out with, um, I don't think I ever went upstairs. Oh, well, then. <laughs> Can't have taken the picture, right? Okay, didn't, didn't go upstairs, so... Yeah, didn't know where, you know, she made an accusation about something happening in a bar, and he's like, well, I'm not really sure where that bar is, so I can't have been there, you know? You know, what does that, that even mean? What does that yeah, even mean? Yeah, I had no recollection of ever meeting this lady. So it doesn't say he hasn't. Again, just yeah. no recollection. I don't know where the bar is in Tramp nightclub. Um, I don't drink. I don't think I've ever bought a drink in Tramp's. And then he doesn't sweat. Those are like the four excuses that he used to try and sort of worm his way out of this night out that he was on. It's so strange. It's wishy-washy, the whole thing. For me, it's, it's, it's the juxtaposition of her coming forward with these kind of concrete, dated kind of accusations that, you know, she says, this happened on this date, in this location, with him, and there were these other people there. And he's coming through with, well, I'm not sure but I've got, I don't remember it myself. So he's not saying, no, this didn't happen. I was here on this day and I was here on this day and, you know, this is the alibi and this can prove this. Going, well, I'm not sure. It's kind of flimsy. And I think, you know, the interview served to shoot himself in its foot because like I said, I don't know if you were aware of this ongoing thing before he did the BBC interview, but I definitely wasn't. And I don't think most people were aware of this. And it was that kind of car crash interview that kind of got people's eyeballs on this topic. And it's culminated, I think, you know, in a, a couple of weeks ago the whole palaver around the court case, because it's not a good look for a supposedly innocent man to try and stamp out a court case, mm. you know, and say, it's not It's not even like, I don't, he's saying, I don't believe this trial should go ahead. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, even if you're not guilty, why not? Why do you believe that you're above a trial? Yeah, it's just ridiculous. Clearly not wanting it to go to trial, not wanting it to take any, uh, go any further. Uh, he's ruled out, I think, paying them off, I think has been ruled out now. He wants it to go to a, a jury, which I think is an interesting decision. And I guess we'll have to wait and see, you know, will they tamper with the jury? Who knows? Who knows <laughs> what will happen? Um, but I like one of the questions that um, Emily Matis asks him. And she said, could you have slept with any girls trafficked by Jeffrey Epstein? And his response is the most weird response I've ever heard. <laughs> if you're a man, it is a positive act to have sex with somebody, presumably not if you're a woman. Um, you have to take some sort of positive action 
And so therefore, if you try to forget, which I think is what he's trying to do, it's very difficult to try and forget positive action. And I do not remember anything. I mean, this sort of positive action, talking about um, taking, having to take positive action is like a euthanism for sex. It's such a strange way of talking about things. And it's like, if you're a man, it's a positive act to have sex with somebody. <laughs> What's he talking about here? Just being asked, did, did you sleep with any girls trafficked by Jeffrey Epstein? And he's going on about a positive act. Terminology, yeah. language he's using. Just say no, I haven't. Can you imagine sidling up to somebody in bed and going, hey, babe, do you want to engage in some positive action? <laughs> I mean, the guy's absolutely oh, positive me. action last night. <laughs> <laughs> we made some positive action, let me tell you. The guy makes my, my skin crawl. And it's important to remember there that she asked a yes-no question and he answered a yes-no <laughs> question about... 100 words i say answered it. i use the term answered loosely yeah. you know he danced around the danced around the point didn't he it's just um ridiculous and like i said when it's blatantly obvious and i think she prepared for this interview really well in a sense that she knew you know even in like a, a legalistic way she knew how to nail him and how to hang him out to dry without necessarily overstepping the mark like she retained the respect that she should have for him you know because he's a man of this status or whatever she made her point without having to outline it explicitly. Like when yeah, she asks a question like that and he doesn't answer it straight in a straight manner by saying yes or no, you know he's saying no. Exactly. He was the one that sort of sunk his own ship in a way. Uh, yeah. What I didn't realise until recently when I read, read an article, I think she was talking about it recently, an article, and she actually said that they spoke before the camera, I think maybe a few days before, they had conversations about actually what they were going to talk about. And so she was aware of certain things he was going to bring up and she made him aware of certain things she was going to bring up. I don't know if they talk about every single question. I don't know if certain questions were vetoed. I don't know. It sounded like he, she was just allowed to ask anything. But there was a conversation beforehand, and I just couldn't believe that the BBC were actually allowed to air this. Like, and was some yeah. of the quotes, some of the things he was coming out with, I was like, is this actually being televised? This is incredible. <laughs> He's sinking his own ship here. He's making himself look ridiculous. I mean, there's another quote, another one of the just ridiculous quotes that I've got jotted down. When the allegations came out originally, about him this is, when the allegations came out originally, I went, well, that's a bit strange. I don't remember this. Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine you being accused of sleeping with a 17-year-old who's been trafficked by Jeffrey Epstein, and your reaction is, well, that's a bit strange. I, I think it's... I think... <laughs> Surely you're shocked. You're appalled. What? No, this is ridiculous. Outrageous. You're not sort of, oh, it's a bit strange, isn't it? Just the mental image of, I think, you know, him, he's having his breakfast or whatever, he's reading the newspaper, and he's thinking, oh, you know, golly, gosh, that's, that's me. I've, <laughs> I've got no idea. I don't... I remember this. Well, it's a bit it's strange. strange. It's really for a 17-year-old. Speaking of a bit strange, though, like this interview does him no favours and distance himself from, from Epstein or from these allegations because he comes across as strange in the interview, right? He doesn't come across as somebody that's in touch with normal people yeah. to me. And I think, like I said, I think it's because he spent so much time around these people that this kind of stuff became normalised to him. Like, I watched, like, obviously, the, the Harry and Meghan interview. I think those two come across as pretty normal people even Kate and Wills you know in terms of the royal family come across pretty normal people especially Kate I think personally Andrew I think is living on an, another 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 planet I'm, I can't even imagine this guy in a club like we talk about him going clubbing I'd rather that it wasn't true rather that he didn't step foot in a club because can you can just imagine him shuffling over with somebody with his chubby fingers and his yeah, shirt sweat tucked in oh god Suit and tie, it's wear a suit and tie though, because he only wears a suit and tie in London, he never takes his suit exactly. and tie off, obviously. Ridiculous. One of the things I noticed in, in the interview is if you look at his biggest complaint, the biggest thing that he pushes back on in this entire interview, given all the sort of accusations and things that he's had to speak about, the biggest thing he pushes back on is when he was accused of visiting Epstein's Palm Beach house four times a year. He puts on this sort of shocked face of, Four, four <laughs> times a year? No. Oh, no. He visited in, uh, he said, he goes on to say, I visited maybe four times in, in, in total, passing, you know, four four times or so. And it's like this sort of outrage. At, oh, no, I wasn't at, wasn't at his Palm <laughs> Beach house. But then he goes on to say, well, no, I was there four times, but maybe four times in total. And then he sort of backtracks and goes, well, I did sort of pass through occasionally when I was in the area. And it's all this sort of like, it's a strange thing to be so pushed back on that kind of detail, isn't it? When you've been had all these other things leveled at you, you're sort of pushing back on how many times you visited a house in the Palm Beach. You know, I might be taking a hardline stance on this, but I think as a royal, four times at all is four times too many, isn't it? To be, yeah. you know, what 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 is Andrew getting out if he's not getting out of this friendship? You know, young girls and sex. Why is he associating himself 
with a disgraced financier who got charged for um, soliciting a minor, whatever, in 2006. Well, you'd run at that point. You'd run away at that point, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. If you were getting nothing out of that friendship, you know, it was just kind of like a, I'm friends with this guy <laughs> thing and it wasn't transactional. Then you'd run a mile at that point if you're in high, you know, public office or whatever. So I think it, 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 it stinks, doesn't it? What, why, why else would Andrew be at his New York penthouse or the, you know, Palm Beach house in, in Florida or on the island itself that Epstein happens to own? Ridiculous. You know, this is one of the things, things that people out there can't connect the dots. This is one of the things I wanted to ask you about and what, what your thoughts were, uh, were on this. Do you think Prince Andrew actively knew that he was sleeping with underage people, uh, or underage girls, um, mm. Do you think he actively knew that, and that's why he was stuck in around, stuck around because he wanted to. He has a, you know, a, a thing for underage girls, or do you think he was under the impression he was sleeping with 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds, and it was he was wanting sex with young women, or do you think he actively was looking for sex with with girls? Like, what's your thoughts on that? Because that's a little bit more up for debate in the air. I mean, you can sort of read into these kind of things, but it's a little bit more sort of down to opinion, I think. Yeah, well, it's it it, it depends to the extent in which you believe Virginia Roberts, I think, because she mm. said that, um, I think it was when they met in London, and that's when that photograph was taken, not by Jeffrey Epstein, because he never had a camera, apparently. <laughs> and he said that, uh, she, uh, Virginia Roberts said that she was there, and there were eight other girls there, aged 14 to 17, I think, Virginia Roberts. So she definitely said that the youngest was... 14 and I don't think I don't know whether Prince Andrew slept with them all I don't know what the arrangement was you know but they were on the scene Prince Andrew presumably taking his pick wasn't he at them all I don't think you'd ever confuse a girl that young with somebody that was 18 19 you think he just tried to put that into the back of his mind then do you think he was just like pretend that that wasn't happening or do you think he was actively pursuing you know children essentially I'm not entirely convinced that he would even have cared if you know a girl happened to be 15 16 17 18 you know and he's in Epstein's pad or whatever because I believe that because of the way that he's been brought up he probably thought he was never going to get caught because these people had this track record I mean by this point by the early noughties you know Epstein had been at it for a good 10 years was probably feeling invincible Epstein also kind of had up his sleeve a clever kind of tactic of the, the Lita Express crudely named was the plane the Epstein's private jet and Epstein had that wired and bugged I think I'm right in thinking I've heard that somewhere on the grapevine probably as compromat as compromat so if any of these celebrities ever got cold feet or any of these big names ever got cold feet Epstein could retain his power and his influence over them because he would have videos and audio of them on this jet soliciting in, in sex with minors well, his whole thing uh, was blackmail that was his whole like that was essentially their business yeah. was, was to do that and you know get, uh, getting intelligence and that kind of thing to be able to then use as blackmail I mean people have said that in that uh, New York um, house that he's got a mansion that he's got there was an entire room just filled with like video footage because every single room had cameras in like embedded into the walls and so you know when you've got that kind of like uh, data on people footage on people if Prince Andrew had been doing stuff in his residence in New York he's got that hanging over his head and that's probably why we don't see Prince Andrew come out in this interview and slate him because even though he's dead you know we've got Maxwell still alive Perhaps other people that, that he was yeah. he was associating with are still alive. That footage might still be out there. He does, he's not to know where that footage is and who could release it. And so he has to not go along with and slate him and have a go at him. He's trying to stay sort of in between the two, which is why it comes across so strange when it's clear cut. Yeah. He's a sex offender, this guy. But for me, the more I read into this situation, the more I think that it was actually Ghislaine Maxwell who was the brains behind the operation, who's running the whole thing. I mean, she would effectively go out and procure these young girls for Epstein, right? She was the one that supplied these girls to Epstein. He would, he didn't really take an active part in that kind of process. Yeah, it seemed to be all her, that she seemed to be the one doing the work, going out there with the butler. The butler was driving her around and she was literally just looking around for girls that were walking around by themselves. And then she'd try and lure them in with money. So they'd be getting like $100, $200, which when you're 14, it's a lot of money, right? It's a lot of money to be getting for these sort of massages. And then when you turned <clears> up <throat> for these massages... It obviously ended up not being a massage, even if it was a massage. Getting a fourteen-year-old to massage you—it's—it's 
you know, dodgy enough, never mind when it then goes sexual as well. It's horrific. I've never seen a couple of people so obsessed with massaging. You know, when you're looking through Google images at them and there's there's all these pictures of him and her getting these massages, massaging each other and whatnot, and it always crops up this kind of like obsession with massaging. I don't understand it. The most interesting thing was for me was that um, Epstein and Maxwell had an art dealer friend who would go out and supply Epstein's mansion that you just mentioned in New York with art. And they drive around New York and the art dealer would be in the back of the car. And I watched an interview with the art dealer who said that Maxwell would be, you know, in the back of the car and the butler would be driving past a school or a park. And Maxwell would just go ballistic. So stop the car, stop the car, stop the car, get out of the car, hand her telephone number to a girl that she'd spotted in the, in the school or in the park or whatever to call me or whatever. And obviously they engaged in a lie, didn't they? That they were model scouts for Victoria's Secret. And yet when they turned up at the residence, it became clear that that wasn't true. But by that point, they'd already got them kind of like exactly where they where they wanted them. And, and it all the became it became a, a pyramid scheme, didn't it? The whole thing. It, it wasn't just, you know, bringing people in themselves. They then get these girls to then recruit their friends and their friends recruit their friends. And before you know, it's this whole pyramid scheme, hundred dollars, two hundred dollars each time of just these swarms of, of underage girls just coming to his, his uh, mansion. It's surprising that nothing was said sooner because, I mean, you see these underage girls going in and out of this mansion and surely someone must have thought something. Apparently a few people did and did report things. Some of it sounds like it was swept under the carpet. Some of yeah. it sounds like it got back to Jeffrey Epstein because he seems to know people in the police departments and higher ups as well. So it was, there was something really, really dodgy going on institutionally, I think, in some of these places as well, because it was clearly getting back to Epstein when they raided his place. I think it was in Palm Beach when they raided his place. It was clear that they'd taken hard drives. And so they knew they were oh. going to do the raid. And so it tells you yeah. that there's people are feeding him information as well. So he knows people in the higher ups. Are, are they involved in his trafficking thing or, you know, does he have dirt <laughs> on them? Yeah, it definitely reeks of institutional failure. Because the first instance of Epstein being reported by anybody was in 1996 by one of the girls that they'd recruited. And um, she reported them to the FBI. The FBI did nothing. And yet Maxwell ended up finding out about it and then proceeded to, over the course of the next few months, make threats, threats to life. She'd say stuff like, oh, it's, it's weird how easy it is to hire a contract killer to get, you know, to get a bullet in the back of your head. You know, um, I'll burn your house down, I'll burn you, and things like that. And coming out with the most... She sounds like she was prone to, like, rage, kind of, you know, fits of rage or whatever. But the fact that, A, the FBI did nothing after, you know, it got reported in 1996, that's five years before Andrew is implicated in this. You know, it shows you how long it's going on. The fact that they knew about it and did nothing and the fact that Epstein and Maxwell found out, I think, tells you everything you need to know about who the institutions are favouring there and who's got the contacts and, 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 and whatnot. It really is quite impressive how he kind of used his charisma in order to make a way in these prestigious circles because he's not from money himself. No, you know, this is the guy that grifted his way to the top by being a liar, by being yeah. a narcissist, a sociopath, or you know, whatever you want to call he it. He was essentially a, a bounty hunter, I think, for fraud for these sort of big institutions. And there's some debate as to how he got his money and whether he came, you know, perhaps got it illegally in itself by through some sort of dodgy schemes and stuff. But he did come from a working class background and he, you know, somehow managed to, I think, he faked some sort of qualifications to get yeah. a job at a school. And then they found out, or maybe it wasn't a job in a school, maybe it was a university or, or a business, I can't remember, but he faked some qualifications. And then they realised he'd faked them. And then I think he managed to convince them to keep him on or something like that, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he eventually built his way up from there, from essentially through lying and you know doing, doing these sort of dodgy deals with people. It's unbelievable that he never had this money taken off him because a lot of it does sound like it was acquired in quite dodgy scenarios, circumstances. The whole thing just um, really stinks from top to bottom yeah i mean one thing in particular that sticks out to me i think it's it's, it's referenced in the, the netflix documentary the, the filthy rich one is the i think it was 2005 might be wrong the florida negotiation between epstein and the florida state department i think it is or the yeah district attorney in florida uh, they knew the full by that point they definitely knew the full extent of what had gone on and they'd raided you know epstein's house and countless countless people had come forward by this point and yet Epstein made a deal with the district attorney 
in Florida. He would plead guilty to a lesser charge. I don't know what. what, what it was one was. Uh, child. It was, I think, procuring a child for pros- prostitution, and it was one count of that. Bearing in mind there'd been dozens of people that had come to the police and given statements by this point, he got one charge for that, and I think he was given a year or something yeah, like yeah. that. And the worst bit about that, which, which they call a, the sweetheart deal is what they labelled at the press, the worst bit about that was the fact that even though he got a year, it wasn't an actual jail sentence. He was able to come and go as he pleased. So he had to sleep at, at the prison, but then was allowed out 12 hours a day for six <laughs> days of the week. And so he was at the office in, uh, in wherever it was, still having kids flown to him. By the sounds of it as yeah. well like you still had you were still committing these crimes so it was just completely ridiculous there was some involvement there with politicians and people in the justice system was quite clearly corrupt i mean that's, that's the only word you can use for it because yeah. there's no way you can allow someone to have such a, an incredible deal for doing such horrific things and it's, it's 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 a big claim to make isn't it because we're not talking about something in the, the 1950s or whatever we're talking about something that happened in 2005 and we're not talking about something that happened in some third world backwards this is the usa it's the united states of america they're meant to be a paragon of you know liberty you know freedom and whatnot justice or at least on and the yeah, face exactly and then this comes you know riding free after being charged with a pretty serious charge but still he, they could have nailed him for something much 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 worse and yet the most astonishing thing about this little bargain this little deal is the fact that epstein managed to bag immunity for co-conspirators up until this point, co-conspirators that were either named by the accusers that had gone to the Florida police or ones that hadn't been named. So can you imagine, can you imagine getting charged for something which I think would lead to life imprisonment, the police turning a blind eye and saying, we'll give you a year for this lesser charge. And by the way, anybody that's been named immunity, anybody that hasn't even been named yet, we don't even know the scale of this, but anybody that hasn't been named yet, let them go as well. And that's yeah, just it's, it's not it? justice either is it if you're if you're part of the justice system your quest should be for justice that should be what you're aiming for and so to exactly. say we're actually going to not we're anybody who is accused of this anything related to him we're just going to let you all off the hook it's just so ridiculous and the way he was just allowed to um just go about normal activities and it wasn't any sort of jail sentence and their defense to this i think it was acosta who was involved in this i think he was called acosta his defense was well we just wanted to make sure that we we charged him for something we wanted to make sure we we actually got him for something we would we just wanted to charge him but just for anything, by the sounds of it, they just wanted to get a deal. And so the, and his defence was, well, the other alternative was we didn't get him for anything because obviously he has really good lawyers. And so he said, well, rather than us not getting for anything, we wanted to really make sure we got him on something. And it's just, that's just not justice in any sense. Yeah, so, I mean, that was that was Alex Acosta, who was the district attorney in charge of all the legal matters in, in, in Florida at that point. And you would think, gosh, he's, you know, he's failed there in his job, Alex Acosta, hasn't he? I mean, this deal is absolutely, you know, stinks of corruption. Failed to, you know, at least, oh, at least we've got him as a pathetic defence, isn't it? You'd think, oh, well, he faced the consequences of this. And yet a mere, what was it, 10 years later, 2005, he ends up in Donald Trump's cabinet, right, literally yeah. the highest office of the land, serving the president Promotion. as the secretary of agriculture or something or other, you know, in the highest office of the land, you know, reporting to the president of the United States on a daily basis. If he's found himself to be implicated in that and got off with it and then failed kind of upwards in order, you know, to end up in, in, in Trump's cabinet. I mean, he knows something we don't, doesn't he? And there was another he was person definitely... who was involved. Is it Barr or something? Who was the other guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Bill Barr. It sounds like a made-up name. <laughs> and he ended up being Trump's attorney general. So, I mean, this is the guy that's responsible for the application of the law, you know, or whatever, across America at this point. And this was interesting because, you know, I know we're going to get on to the conspiracies around his death, Epstein's death at this point. But one of the main things, I hate to hark on about, you know, camera's not working again you know so it's a memory from the the princess diana podcast Diana all famous. over again <laughs> you know everything always leads back to our die doesn't it but you know the cameras weren't working in the tunnel and in 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 this scenario the cameras weren't working outside epstein's cell just for this night they they were corrupted shall we say and bill Barr, attorney general rocks up and he says not to worry not to worry guys you know i'm in charge of the laws of the land i've personally reviewed the footage you know from the night personally i don't know how's he got hold of it who knows it's being corrupted it's not there Personally reviewed the footage, empty all night. So he sifted through about eight hours of footage, you know, through the night. Nobody's going to get an out of Epstein, so everything's fine. And then it turns out you referenced Epstein getting a job at a school earlier or a college. It was a, it was a, a college. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, imagine the guy working in a school, though. It'd be a nightmare, wouldn't it? Oh. You know, we, we spoke last week about pedo teachers and about how we didn't have any. I mean, Jesus. They do you gravitate imagine, to yeah, those jobs, though. They do. Yeah, they, <laughs> they do. They I'll do. Find Easy the access, isn't it? Yeah. I've got Mr. Epstein next. <laughs> <laughs> but Bill Barr's dad recruited, personally recruited and headhunted Jeffrey Epstein for a job at the school that Bill Barr's dad was a head teacher of. Unbelievable, so Bill, isn't it? Bill Barr was, there was a major conflict of interest there. So it's very, very, very coincidental that Bill Barr suddenly got hold of this CCTV footage that allegedly didn't exist. And then Bill Barr was like, yeah, all fine here, nothing to see here. But I mean, we'll get onto that because that's where the main conspiracies about it lie, isn't it, for me? I mean, I, I saw a poll that said that 6% of Americans believe that Epstein killed himself and 45% believe that um, the government were involved in it, which is a hefty percentage of people, I think, to believe that the government have been complicit in killing off this guy for a particular reason. Who knows? Who knows? And Donald Trump fueled it, didn't he? Do you, do you remember that? <laughs> he was in charge. He was president at the time. And he said, no, he said he tried to push it onto the Clintons. He was like retweeting yeah. stuff back when he was on Twitter. And he was like, it's the Clinton, the Clinton body count is what he called it. The Clintons have done can, it. Yeah. And and so, I mean, there might be some, I mean, I'm not suggesting that Donald Trump was, was uh, you know, had any inside information onto that, but it might have been that somebody wanted him taken out because there was a lot of people connected to Epstein. One thing I wanted to bring up, actually, just on the subject of Donald Trump, before he became president, and I know Donald Trump's words perhaps don't have a load of meaning, but this is before he became president, before he was, I think, even properly, I think he was running to be a Republican uh, candidate, but I don't think he'd become it yet. I think this was in 2015. He did an interview with, I think, Bloomberg, and he was asked about Bill Clinton's links to Jeffrey Epstein, because the Epstein thing was happening at the time. And Donald Trump says it was a cesspool. It was a cesspool, the whole island. The, <laughs> the island was a cesspool. Just ask Prince Andrew. He says that <laughs> 2015, okay? So this is before Prince Andrew, the allegations have been properly out there. They've been a little bit maybe, but this is before yeah. we really knew the full extent of things. This is a long time, seven years ago now. It's quite a long time ago. Pre-president, just ask Prince Andrew. He'll tell you all about it. That island was uh, really a cesspool. There's no question about it. Just ask Prince Andrew. He'll tell you about it. Uh, the island was an absolute cesspool. And then he became president. And things started blowing up again. Maybe I think it might have been 2019. And he said, no, I don't know anything about Ghislaine Maxwell. Epstein didn't like the guy. Doesn't know anything about Ghislaine Maxwell. But before then, 2015, he seemed to know something. I think he did have some information. He said, they, they all play at my, my golf clubs. They, all, they love my clubs, these people. <laughs> they love my clubs. Um, but just ask Prince Andrew, it's a cesspit. I'm telling you, I wouldn't trust Donald Trump with a secret, would you? Could you imagine if you were involved in this <laughs> ring and you think, you know, one person I'm going to tell is motormouth Donald Trump. Though, you know, not an took off Twitter, so he couldn't, he couldn't say anything. <laughs> not an answer sent in his body, but he's been, this is it, and it, it shows you how far-reaching, you know, Epstein and Maxwell's influence were, because, I mean, we talk about the Clintons. Bill Clinton's been photographed on the Lolita Express. And a massage um, in an Donald airport. Trump, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, Donald Trump's been photographed with them countless times. Prince Andrew obviously has. And then obviously you have this black book, which is a contact book. But Epstein, you know, maintains particular contacts for some for some reason, doesn't he? For some purpose. I'm not saying that every name in there is, you know, reminiscent of a dodgy kind of dealing or whatever. But some names are in this in this book for a reason. Because I think, you know, this guy is a relative nobody. Otherwise, you know, other than his ability to provide underage girls or young girls in general for particular uses why would anybody be mates with this guy you know why what what has he got to give beyond that you know you look at some of the names in this this black book and you've got world leaders then you think well these world world leaders are you know surely far too busy to be dealing with their own issues to hang out with a financier who's got a dodgy reputation anyway even before this all blew up he had a dodgy reputation i mean he got charged in 2006 so these things would be flying around for ages like, did he just know how to host an amazing, you know, dinner party or something? Did he cook a really good ratatouille? Why do people want to be spending time around this guy this, if this not is, to use his services? Yeah, this is the thing. People's defence is always that he was great at bringing extraordinary people together. And it sounded like he was always pushing for funding for different science, uh, you know, science projects and that kind of thing. And that's how I think he sort of, he, he was a seen as a philanthropist and he was trying to use money and get other people's money in order to push it in certain directions. And in doing that, it built up certain connections. People wanted to get close to them, establish relationships so they could get money for their projects. And it's like Bill Gates, for example, he was on, I think, um, his private jet and his defense was, well, I was trying to get funding for this project. We were trying to raise funding. It's like, Bill Gates, you're trying to raise funding. You're, sorry, how much money do you have again, Bill? 
Do you fancy just, okay. you know, rough ball mark figure? But no, he yeah. wanted funding for something. And it's like, you know, these are the sort of defences. I'm not saying Bill Gates did anything or anything like that. But, you know, it, these sort of defences just, they don't really stack up particularly well. I get that he's good at connecting people that makes some sort of sense, perhaps. But I don't know, having a close relationship with him, it just seems very, very strange. I'm just thinking what was, you know, Stephen Hawking was known to frequent that island, wasn't he? What was Stephen, what Stephen Hawking and Jeffrey Epstein, what do you have in common? I'd love to know what you're talking about. I love science, coffee. both of them. They both bloody love science. Okay, that's what they were that's talking exactly, about. I think that's, that's exactly might, that might have been what, what he was there for, I think was like some sort of science funding or something like that. But it does all seem a little bit strange, doesn't it? Like, was he Is facilitating... Is hearing science funding and thinking paedophile ring? Or was it just... <laughs> Well, I'm not. I'm not suggesting anything. All I'm saying is, perhaps, perhaps he was facilitating some young women and some young girls to do various different things for certain celebrities. That seems to be what he was facilitating. Now, whether that was um, Bill Gates or you know Stephen Hawking, whoever, um, it, it, it does seem that he was getting involved with quite a lot of high ups into this kind of thing. You know, there's quite good evidence suggesting that they were on the island and that they were doing certain things there. Um, and, and it's just to, to even deny having gone on the island, which I think Andrew has done, is just ridiculous because it's all in the flight logs as well. Uh, we know he's flown on the plane at least three times, Bill Gates at least nine times. It's ridiculous. It's foolish, isn't it? I think Bill Clinton denied being on the plane. And not only is he all over the flight logs, but there's photos of him on the plane with Epstein and photos of him on the island with what I would presume to be workers. And if they're not workers, then they're young girls. So it's kind of like when you know that these photos do exist, even though Jeffrey was averse to a camera himself, it sounded like, you know, you're setting yourself up to fail right, right there and then, aren't you, with, with, with that? And Clinton's denied being close to Epstein as well. He's denied that. But I mean, you just think, I mean, have you seen that picture that I think it's a painting that Jeffrey Epstein had in his house of Bill Clinton wearing the dress of that blue dress of who's the woman that he slept with? cheated with. yeah she had a famous blue dress apparently there's a painting jeffrey epstein has in one of his houses of bill clinton wearing that dress in a chair that kind of thing yeah, and it's like it's obvious that they had, there was some close friendship there at some point i'm not saying they necessarily were for his whole life but at some point that, it's clear that blue dress was famous because it was the blue dress that did him in wasn't it because he yeah. denied having an affair with the woman and then they found his jizz on that blue dress <laughs> So, I mean, Bill Clinton has a track record for lying. So, I mean, who are we to believe? You know, it's not as if, you know, somebody says Bill Clinton's a liar and a sexual deviant. I'm not going to sit here and go, oh, my God, Bill Clinton, really? You know, the paragon of virtue and, you know. How he's monogamy, not been you know? cancelled. Yeah. How, how, how on earth is he still out there as a public figure? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Like, uh, again, Donald Trump said it himself back in 2015. The guy's Teflon is the words that he used. He said, I don't know about Clinton. He, he seems Teflon. It's true. It's true. I don't know whether it's because, I mean, Hillary's still with him as well. This is a thing. I respect Melinda, Melinda Gates. Melinda Gates, you know, at the first sight of this all kicking off, Melinda Gates thought, I'm out of here and I'm taking half his money, divorce, done, right? Because she knew what was what. Hillary Clinton's still with him and I don't know what she sees in him. She can, Hillary, if you're watching this, she's, she's partial to a podcast, you can do better. You can do what you can do loads better. Can she? I don't know. Oh, she, wow. I'm, not, I'm not sure I agree yeah. with that, to be honest. Look at um, him. He's a doddering old wreck. Oh, oh come on, let's not. Come on. Uh, apparently, he has a he has an interest in certain substances as well. Apparently, but let's not get into that. Um, yeah. And so does so does his brother. But anyway, um, we won't get into that. It's for another podcast. Uh, what I was going to say is, I think this is actually a very normal thing in certain societies that maybe both of them play away. And then, but the, mm. together, public facing, they're in a marriage. It's quite, I think it's quite a normal thing in certain relationships. I was reading something about Jeff Bezos and his wife recently, and it sounded like um, he perhaps, there's perhaps there'd been some overlap, let's just say, with his new girlfriend. And also, interestingly, his ex wife, who's divorced recently, has just entered a relationship with their children's science teacher. Weird. <laughs> Weird. Was that? Did, was there overlap there or I don't know. But all I'm saying is I, I think mean, this happens quite frequently in relationships, particularly with higher ups where they've got a public facing sense. image. You know, let's say if you're, as an example, obviously I'm not insinuating this in any sense, but let's say you're part of the Beckham brand. Let's just say, <laughs> you know, as an example, 
there's a certain brand there, a public facing image that you have yeah. to give and certain things that happen privately. Yeah, it's true. And I mean, I think one thing to compound your point is the fact that not for one moment is anybody convinced that Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell were in fact attracted to each no. other at all. They were just a perfect couple. Like she could provide him with the kids, basically. Um, and he had that desire and he had the money. Apparently they wanted to have some kids together, apparently. Could you imagine if they spawned those two? Her temper and his tendencies. Mm. Not for me. Not for me, thank you. Not for me. So I think that one of the most interesting aspects of this whole saga for me is the Epstein death. And I think, you know, it's it's that ridiculous. I I wouldn't even stretch, you know, to call it a conspiracy theory because it's that ridiculous. It's kind of like an open joke amongst people, isn't it, that he didn't kill himself. 6% 6% of people believe that he killed himself. 45% think that he got killed by the government, basically. Like, those are not conspiracy kind of theory level figures, you know. It's more as if people are just raising an eyebrow at this and they're going, yeah, we believe that our government are, are capable of this. And so it was August 2019, wasn't it? And he's meant to have killed himself, meant to have hanged himself in his prison cell using a bed sheet, apparently. Um, so you can't say that he wasn't resourceful. Like a Bear There's Grylls type whole... figure, isn't he? <laughs> could you imagine you know, it's a way to go Jeez. out but one of the most interesting things that i found out is that there was actually cords and wires in the cell so he didn't need to do the bed shoot which is you know weird so i mean oh, right. the trick there <laughs> the cords and wires in the cell it's so dilapidate, dilapidated the particular block he was in is quite notorious for being a bit of a shit tip basically mm-hmm. overcrowded cockroach infested cords and wires everywhere but he chose he chose the bed shoot route okay fair enough but I feel like this death, more than any other kind of conspiracy theory death, is marked by a lot, 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 lot more coincidences than anything else I've ever seen, don't you think? I think it's a, it, it, it just gets to the point where Bill Barr, you know, the attorney general um, in, the, in the US, called it a perfect storm of coincidences. And I think that's, I think he's taking people for fools. I mean, there's so many coincidences in this that lead into another coincidence to another coincidence. It's just absolute nonsense. Yeah, it? it's so strange. I mean, there's loads of different coincidences. I mean, he was taken off suicide watch. He had his cellmate yep. removed. The guards weren't there checking in. Cameras were turned off. I mean, the whole thing seemed very budget for a high-profile criminal. Why, why on earth would you stick one of the highest-profile criminals at that point in time into a cell which was dilapidated? It was well known that it was run down as, as a, as a yeah. cell as well. I mean, what, what was the thinking there? Why, would, why on earth would you send him into this sort of bodge job kind of jail makes no sense i mean you think as well you're a member of the you know you're working for the fbi whatever you're in the fbi it's a reminder there's a reminder that the i in fbi stands for investigation right this guy is absolutely crucial the, the amount of things that he could tell you you know that would that would aid this investigation you guard him with your life and yet he apparently tries to attempt suicide about a month before he actually does die mm-hmm. he's taken off suicide watch a week after because they assume that he's okay and he's you know psychologically stable and whatnot and then he gets moved cells. The only night in which he was in prison without a cellmate, under the terms of his imprisonment, he had to have a cellmate at all times. Move cells, the only night that he doesn't have a cellmate is the night that he happens to commit suicide, right? The CCTV for the corridor where the cell is happens to go down on this night. The CCTV across the rest of the block is working. It's just his corridor. It's like they haven't thought about it. It's like they're making it easy. I mean, I'm not even big on... <laughs> Conspiracies, but it's like they're well, making that's it two too out of two now. So maybe you are. Two, two from two. Diana and Epstein, uh, oh, the holy pair, shall we say, of, uh, of conspiracies. The guards that were on shift, when they find him dead, they refer to him by name. Breathe, Epstein, breathe, they say. Breathe, Did Epstein, they? breathe. As if he's a mate, you know. Breathe, Epstein, breathe. Yeah. Jeff, Crazy. Come on, Jeff. <laughs> pull Wake through, up. pull through, Wake mate. Up. Come on. Pull through, mate. Ridiculous, right? The guards are meant to be checking every half an hour and they're doing 10 hour shifts. These two bozos that are on, on, on shift seem to be asleep, apparently. They got sacked. They're on trial. Well, were they trial. sleeping with each other? Or was there some sort of relationship going on there? I, I don't know. So. I thought, I, thought I heard men. something about that. There were two men. Oh, I know. It was a one, yeah. one, there was a woman. Definitely oh, a woman. Really? Yeah, it was definitely a woman were, guard. Involved. You think they were having it off? And that's why they... <laughs> you I don't know. I heard there was maybe some sort of relationship or something is what I heard. Imagine having an affair and it all coming out in court because you've accidentally let one of the most kind of internationally renowned criminals die when you were, trying to, were supposed to be guarding him. They're meant yeah. to be checking him every half an hour. They didn't check him once on their 10-hour shift. Jeffrey Epstein, you know, they didn't even bother. <laughs> it's not mental. interesting enough, is it really, as a as a cell? No, as, some, as someone in a cell, it's not really interesting. Finally, only Epstein. Too busy, it? too busy doing the dirty, aren't they? You know, when you yeah. get in that mindset, you know, when all the juices are flowing or whatever, you're not thinking about Jeffrey Epstein, are you? What can I say? Or maybe that's what no, when you got in... them going. The thought of him. Yeah, maybe. 
Maybe. Maybe they were guarding him. They saw him looking through. Oh, he's looking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Shall we go, Larry? Yeah, go on then. (laughs) Shall we go engage in some positive action? (laughs) But But they they got charged, didn't they, with something, those those two um, guards? I can't remember what, but they got charged with something. They're on trial at the minute. They're on trial at the minute, but they're keeping stum, apparently. Um, But even when they found him, it was so botched, even when they found him. So you're meant to treat a, a suicide scene, for want of a better term, as the same way, in the same way that you treat a crime scene. Don't tamper with it, don't touch it, whatever. These two guards come across Epstein's body. They're like, breathe, breathe, Jeffrey, breathe, or whatever. He's been dead for two hours by this point. So I don't know what they're, they're expecting him to start breathing again. I mean, the body's probably cold by that point. Probably Making rigid. It, like, stiff. Not, not in that sense, not stiff in that sense. <laughs> it makes a change for him, though, doesn't it? It does, does. You know, give him a massage, wake him up, bring, massage. Come yeah, on. Should say if they wanted to bring him back to the life, just give him a massage, I don't know, yeah. I was going to say that. <laughs> Anyway, they're trying to wake him up. He's been dead for two hours. So they take him to the emergency response unit. I don't know what they're thinking he's, that they're going to do some at this point. They're going to resuscitate him after two hours. I don't know. But they were meant to keep him where he was, and that they didn't. Because Epstein's brother is paying this doctor, or has paid a doctor, to conduct an autopsy on Epstein's body. And this doctor apparently says that he's seen thousands of prison suicides. What a job. Thousands of prison suicides by hanging, and never once has there been a fracture in the tendons in the neck before. And yet, in this Epstein death, there is a fracture, and the scarring on the neck doesn't line up with the the marks on the bed sheets that he hung himself with. There's discrepancies in that, and he says he's seen he's seen thousands of these cases, and it's the first time that there's ever been fractures in the neck. There's a few things to, to go into on this. So they they initially did an autopsy. The original autopsy had somebody watching a third party watching the autopsy to making sure they were doing it properly and that came back inconclusive but then they changed changed it a couple of days later without any and without telling anybody to say that it was suicide but then this like you say this independent autopsy which they did found an injury on the back of his neck an injection mark on the arm now was that injection from a hospital visit was it from something else how how did that that was never explained uh, and then like yeah. you say three fractures of the neck bones which would require different pressures from different directions now it does sound like he tried to essentially strangle himself from different um parts of this bed behind him and he had like apparently wrapped around him different he tried different nooses that he'd made out of um the fabrics of the sheets and he's trying to basically strangle himself from different directions one pathologist said it was suspicious uh, and another said it was he was less convinced that it was suspicious so it's interesting that there's different opinions on this uh, as opposed to just one opinion but like you say there was a, one particular um pathologist that did seem pretty certain that it was very very suspicious uh, and like i say the original one came back inconclusive which i just think is unusual i mean surely with a suicide it's generally pretty obvious i don't know why that would be inconclusive yeah it was just, it was a striking to me that he'd said, he said he said that he'd seen thousands of, of cases like this and not once had he seen kind of the inconsistencies before that that were apparent in this epstein case and you think with the, the high profile nature of it and the motive and whatnot and obviously there you know there are people out there that would definitely like wield that power that are definitely invested in in things that that Epstein would come out with being covered up. Yeah, there, there were definitely some interests uh, that were helped out by the fact that he that he died. Uh, one one thing that I also wanted to mention was the guards supposedly cut him down uh, from him hanging himself because apparently he was sort of leaning off the bed. Uh, apparently they cut him down, um, but actually there was no cut on the noose that was said to be the cause of his death. So there was a picture taken or a drawing, maybe, I, I think, of the noose that was supposedly the cause of death, but there was no cut in that noose. So if the guards cut him down, but there's no cut yeah. in, the, in the one that was supposedly will have killed him, there's no fraying fabric, there's nothing. And it just seems very, again, very strange. Was that the right cause of death? Was it not? There's lots of sort of inconsistencies. Have you seen the, have you seen pictures of Jeffrey Epstein's body? Like when they do the autopsy, have you actually seen pictures of it? I haven't know. He wasn't the most attractive man when he was alive. So I imagine when he was dead, he's probably... Yeah, not a looker when he was dead, to be honest. Got to be honest with you. But uh, yeah, there's... I didn't realise there's actually pictures of his body, like his, his actual dead body in these documentaries. I've seen him, like I say, not a looker, but what made what I was surprised about, and presumably this is because of the cause of death, was like all the blood, like the 
big patches of like bleeding, these big red marks, like all obviously where he suffocated himself, and that's where blood vessels are presumably burst or something. Or all, all absolutely mm. awful, awful um, pictures of him, but just shows that that is actually his, his body. Like I've, I've seen it, definitely was him. So he didn't get it, didn't get out of it alive. No, so he's not done a runner or anything, has he? He's not on his little island or whatever. So, no, I mean, there's definitely some, not. There's some, there's some justice there, isn't there? I mean, Ghislaine's still alive and kicking as well, isn't she? But no, I, for I now, for now. Not, not free though, which is the important thing. Well, oh yeah, she's wanting a retrial, isn't she? She's wanting to, uh, to try and get that overturned. I think, by the sounds of it. Good luck, good luck with that when it's when it's five charges out of six or whatever that you're trying to overturn. <laughs> One final thing uh, that that we should we should sort of go into. I guess you sort of answered it. You gave your opinion. Is um, did he take his own life or was he killed? I'm guessing from what you said, you think he was taken out. Do you reckon? Yeah, I think. Well, I think you know. There's there's definitely a lot of coincidences in there that, that would line up to you know. It definitely is a perfect storm, but not a perfect storm of coincidences. It's a perfect storm of it's a plan. Of, you know, it's Ooh, a, a heist. A plan to uh, you know to try. It sounds a bit like amateur hour though. You know, with the whole not actually cutting the news thing. It sounds a bit a bit silly, doesn't it? Right, to be honest, I'm 50-50 on, on this one. I'm a little bit more yeah. unsure, just on the basis that, as one of the pathologists said, you know, he was less convinced that there was something suspicious going on. Uh, from what I heard, it, there's a possibility that it would fracture neck bones, but it was sort of highly unlikely, like verging on, you know, sort of very, very unlikely. I just think perhaps maybe given the fact he was trying to do it from multiple different angles, and clearly been trying, but apparently there's lots of different nooses that he had in his in his cell. Um, that yeah. perhaps he'd been trying to do this for a little while. I mean, another thing actually I didn't mention, I thought added to the case that perhaps he did it of his own accord. He arranged for his will and assets to go offshore a day or two before his death. So he signed that into his will. So was that him going, right, well, I'm off soon, so I'm going to move this to an untaxable place where it can't be traced, it can't be taken away. These assets are going to be here for family or whoever uh, and was that him his way of basically sticking up the middle finger to the authorities before he took his life yeah i don't know it was either that or he knew which way it was going which was either that he bumped off or that or that but more likely that he'd be spending the rest of his life in in jail mm. um and you know i think you know you know what happens to people in jail that are well-known kind of figures or whatever i think he'd spent he'd spend day in day out in jail getting battered to a pulp wouldn't he when prisoners in in jail find out well, about it's interesting like, this is the jeffrey epstein because um i think i don't know if it was his lawyer or a family member said they'd visited him relatively recently before he died and they said that he seemed still seemed quite hopeful that he'd get out and that also obviously that's down to their perspective on talking to him that kind of thing maybe they were you know maybe he was just pretending to be hopeful or whatever but it's interesting that there was a few people close to him that said they actually he they felt he was quite optimistic about getting a, a better deal or about getting an appeal or something like that or about being able to get out somehow because he had obviously a great lawyers i mean alan dershowitz is there's all there's also some interesting allegations about him as well a bit dodgy i don't know whether that for for, for, for me is epstein's kind of last act of kind of peacocking you know knowing the game is up but this is a man he built his career on on charisma didn't he really mm -hmm. and on bravado and that sounds to me like he thought that the game was up but his last kind of act of kind of you know maintaining this kind of act of bravado towards the end and not you know can you imagine it'd be, it'd be a pitiful end if they've got him banged to rights, locked up, and he was there huddled, you know, shoulders hunched, crying or whatever, you know, it's not really a way that I think somebody of his character and his status would have been seen to have wanted to, to go out either way, I don't think. Yeah, perhaps he wanted to go out on his own terms, maybe that's that's what his thinking was. Um, I, I think to, to finish off, I'm going to go back to some of the Prince Andrew quotes that I didn't quite get enough chance to, to put in. And these are some of my sort of favourite, most ridiculous quotes, <laughs> shall we say. So he gets asked in this interview, do you regret your friendship with Epstein? Still not, was his response. Still not. Knowing, <laughs> a, knowing Epstein's a sex offender. I regret. Still, still doesn't I regret. regret it. Nah, don't have regrets <laughs> in life, Andy. Um, he then says, it was undoubtedly strange, and there was undoubtedly strange and unpleasant activities that have been going on. But I'm afraid to say, I'm not the person that can shed light on it for a number of reasons. That almost <laughs> sounds like he has something hanging over his head there a little bit. I'm afraid <laughs> to say, I can't shed light on reasons. it for a number of reasons. A number of reasons is interesting as mm -hmm. well. You interesting. Bring your own back. Um, definitely one of them. And my all-time favourite was right at the end of this interview. He, he says to himself, and he, he sends himself down a weird path here where he just talks and talks and talks himself into a hole. Do I regret he's conducted himself in a manner unbecoming? Yes. And this is when <laughs> Emily Matus jumps in 
and says, unbecoming, he was a sex offender. And it was like the <laughs> highlight moment right at the end. And he goes, well, yes, I, I, I'm sorry. I was being polite in that he, he was a sex offender. And that's the only time he addresses him as, as a sex offender. Being polite. Imagine, imagine if polite. everybody afforded sex offenders, you know, the duty of, of politeness. Sort of For those that, you know. that don't know the definition of unbecoming, which I didn't before hearing it, to be honest <laughs> with you. So I'll, I'll, I'll say for people that don't know, unbecoming means not flattering, basically. Yeah. So imagine <laughs> describing a sex offender as his behaviour was unflattering not flattering was it being a sex offender yeah, i think you know unbecoming in those circles has been at a formal dinner and putting both elbows on the table like yeah that's a, that's a sin that's a exactly. sin yeah it's this um, sort of downplaying you know, isn't it that he constantly does throughout interview you know pedophile ring sex offenses etc etc unbecoming yeah maybe a bit right too. at the end the thing is it was just as the interview started to get onto some of the more positive things that he does like the charity the foundations that he works with that kind of thing and then he just spirals back to this conversation and he just sort of digs his hole it's a very very strange he didn't come across to me as someone that had a lot of self-awareness that was particularly no. intelligent uh, very strange very yeah very strange guy i mean did you see the story about him having 50 teddy bears in his bedroom <laughs> ridiculous i mean there's there's people that have cooperated that as well it's quite worrying isn't it i think that we that these people are born into so much privilege or whatever and they're effectively afforded this much status and this much power or whatever representing us on the the world stage i think it's, it's bizarre out of touch as, as one way i put it yeah um, just ugh, get rid of the loss of them I don't hate a teddy bear, but I think 50 is a bit, it's a bit obsessive, isn't it? Well, yeah, you really? have to put them in the right order as well. He had a picture of how he wanted them to be ordered, and he'd shout at his staff, they said. They said they'd get a shout out if they didn't order them properly. Imagine that being your job. Imagine coming in from, all right, love, what are you at work today? Well, I put Prince Andrew's teddy bears in a particular order for him. Well, she said that she spent, th- she used to spend, I think, I can't remember, it was 30 minutes or an hour doing it every day, taking them off the bed and moving them to the positions that they had around the room and then putting them back into the positions on the bed again on a night. Bizarre. Weird guy. And I think we'll wrap up the podcast there. We've done a lot of talk. We probably could have gone on even longer, to be honest, but we won't subject yeah, people to that. Um, <laughs> We will be back, hopefully, with a more upbeat podcast. I mean, you know, I think we're hopefully going to maybe have a guest next week. We won't say who just yet. And then we'll be back with, I think, maybe a, a Madeleine McCann one or something in a few weeks or well, a couple of weeks. In keeping with the sex offending theme as well. No offence no offense to next week's guest. I meant the Madeleine McCann. <laughs> Madeleine McCann. Not next week's guest, obviously. Well, thank <laughs> you all you so much for watching. Uh, please do hit the like button, subscribe. Um, also, rate us on Spotify as well there's a little five star thing you can do now apparently on spotify so appreciate you could do that yeah or, or four stars if you think well you're lacking, don't, nah, don't do well, that you want a five a constructive criticism <laughs> definitely don't definitely don't do that five star thanks for watching everyone see you next week cheers, cheers see you later